This is HR in Review, a podcast dedicated to HR thought leadership, actionable advice, and all the latest developments in human resource management. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the fifth episode of our podcast, HR in Review. I'm Monica Sharma, the editor of HR Review, and if you haven't tuned in before, in this short segment, we'll be looking back at some recent standout stories, and we'll be discussing the most relevant topics linked to HR. Each week will be based around a different theme, and this week's is employee engagement during and beyond the pandemic. Here today, I'm joined by my guest, Lord Mark Price. Mark is the former Government Minister of Trade, Deputy Chairman of the John Lewis Partnership and President of the Chartered Management Institute. In addition to all of this, he is also the founder of Workall for Business, a platform offering market-leading employee engagement surveys and data to help businesses and organisations develop and engage their workforce. Welcome to the show, Mark. How are you doing today? Uh, Hello, Monica. Uh, I'm doing very well and it's lovely to be talking to you. Great. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your um, schedule to talk to us here today. Um, So I wanted to actually start by talking about some research that Workall for Business conducted recently about how employee engagement differs amongst different demographics during the pandemic. So the research split groups by looking at staff who are working from home and those who are office based and came out with some really interesting findings. Um, Mark, can you talk us through these statistics in a bit more depth? Which demographics were shown to be the most engaged? Yeah, I, I'm delighted to do that. And I mean, just just so that your listeners understand where mm-hmm. this data comes from. Yeah. Um, on on Workle, what we do uh, is um, survey people. Uh, mm-hmm. We have about three to 4,000 people every week completing our Happy at Work survey from all mm-hmm. over the UK and abroad. And because of that, we've got constant and live data. And so over the last year or so, we've been measuring the results from people working from home mm-hmm. and people who are still going into their place of work office or um, uh, supermarket or, or wherever they're, they, they're going to work. Mm-hmm. And what we've been able to do is to measure on a weekly basis how people are feeling about working from home and working from the office. And I think the the first big thing to draw out is that people have said that they are much happier working from home. Mm-hmm. Um, so people who work uh, um, from their normal place of work, uh, they've scored on average about 68% over the course of the last year. Mm-hmm. But people working from home have been scoring 72%, 73%. Right. And that's pretty much across every every demographic you can think of. Mm-hmm. We measure age, we measure gender, we measure ethnicity, we measure sexual orientation, and we measure disability in our, our studies. Mm-hmm. And all of those groups are happier um, out of work, uh, sorry, at home, working remotely, than they mm-hmm. are at work. Mm-hmm. But within that, as your question implied, Monica, there are a lot of differences. Mm-hmm. So for those working from home, what might surprise you is that those that are happiest of all are mid-career. Right. Those people that are aged 35 uh, to 50, really, 54, mm-hmm. uh, the, the less happy working from home are younger people and much older people. Right. What we've discovered is that the reason that they're less happy is that they're looking for greater amounts of sociability in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Uh, they like meeting with colleagues. They're more interested in uh, career development, particularly mm-hmm. younger cohort, and they feel they're missing out on that. So what we've seen is that um, those that are going into work 
mm-hmm. it's exactly the opposite. Right. Um, we're, we're finding that the happiest going into work um, are the younger age groups and the older age groups, uh, and those that are in the mid-group have felt less happy. So you've got a U-shape uh, in terms of how people feel about being at home mm-hmm. and you've got an N-shape in terms of those people that are going into work. So different demographics in terms of age have responded differently. Mm-hmm. So that's actually a really interesting point. Um as I've looked at a lot of research over the past year, that's definitely something I've also picked up on the fact that uh, younger people especially are looking for those networking opportunities and they've potentially been you know, hindered by working from home and they feel that they haven't had the same exposure to you know, meeting colleagues and kind of learning by osmosis, as people are saying. Um, so it's really interesting there that there is that significant um, difference between age groups. Um, were there any other findings linked to just like gender or ethnicity? Yep. So uh, what the survey is saying is that women have found it uh, easier to be working from home. They're happy Mm -hmm. men um, by a a, a good margin, actually, a good couple of percentage points. Mm -hmm. That was the reverse before the pandemic. Right. Now, I know that there are lots of issues working from home. Um, Mm -hmm. In all our research, we find that, there are things around environment, if you've got childcare, if you've got other caring responsibilities. And so um, it's not all rosy. I wouldn't pretend that. But what mm. our research overwhelmingly says is that women have been happier working mm. from home than men have been, although both are happier working from home mm. than they were in the office. But the gap has, has widened. Right. Uh, in terms of um, uh, ethnicity, Mm-hmm. Uh, we found that uh, um, uh, Asian uh, workers mm-hmm. um, have been happier um, uh, and white workers have been less happy. Right. Black workers have been happier. So there are differences in terms of demographics as well, how people have responded to working from home, from working from the office. Mm-hmm. And we find the same with disability. All the work we do around disability normally shows that able-bodied people are happier in the workplace than disabled people. Mm-hmm. Again, what we found is that that gap has um, narrowed slightly for disabled people who are working from home, presumably because um, their home environment is better suited to their needs. So there's lots of data we've been able to find. I think that the the overarching thing that I would say in, in the limited time we have available is that people are happier working from home. Mm-hmm. And that poses, I think, real challenges for HR professionals in terms of how do I bring people back into work now? Mm-hmm. Um, the vast majority of people, 82% of the people that we survey say, Actually, they don't want to go back to the way it was. Only 18% do. Mm-hmm. The vast majority of managers, over 70%, are saying, we don't want to go back to the way that we were. Mm-hmm. And so what all of this is pointing to, as we all know, is a different kind of working, more hybrid working. Mm-hmm. But having gone back into the office ourselves five weeks ago, mm-hmm. that's not straightforward. No. I mean, it's great that people want to come back um, to the office, you know, we can have training again, we can collaborate again, uh, all those social things we can start to do again. But what's difficult is when some are in and some are out. So I I know this sounds a very parochial point in a small point, but um, doing a Zoom call Mm -hmm. when everybody's on Zoom is straightforward. Yeah. Trying to do a Zoom call when half are in the office and half are Mm -hmm. out the office 
is actually really tricky. Yeah. And so I think that we'll all develop this new way of working, hybrid way of working, which I think most people want. Mm-hmm. But we're going to have to evolve and see what really works. Mm. I think you've raised some really interesting points there, Mark. Um, obviously, there were quite significant disparities, as you said, between different ethnicities. And then on top of that, HR are going to try to are going to have to grapple with, you know, people wanting different things. Um, And so I guess based on this then, Mark, my next question would be, what do employers need to bear in mind when trying to keep these different groups engaged? Like what kind of areas drive employee engagement? And is this, you know, varied amongst different groups? Follow us on Twitter at HR Review or join us on LinkedIn and Facebook. So, yes, it, it is, Monica, and that's why it's not easy for HR professionals. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I hate the tyranny of averages. You know, if you've got your head in the oven and your feet in the fridge, you're an average temperature, but you're not in good <laughs> shape. Yeah. And so um, trying to find a way to really understand by each of these different groups what they need mm. is going to be really important. So um, one of the things we do is we work with businesses, uh, we run our survey, uh, we've got a methodology around what creates engagement, which is based on uh, my 34 years in the John Lewis partnership. Mm-hmm. And um, we've got all this live data so we can see how things are moving. But, you know, if if you are um, uh, a black male under mm-hmm. the age of 35, yeah. you're going to have different needs than if you're a white female under the age of 35, for mm-hmm. instance. So they all come up differently. If you want sort of a a broad brush, what you would say is for younger people, career development is hugely important. Mm -hmm. Um, And then funnily enough, mid-career, it pops up again as being a really critical thing about how people feel about their employer continuing to invest in them. Mm -hmm. For an older workforce, it's not as important. And so what you find is that there are different things at different life stages, different for the genders, different Mm -hmm. for ethnicity, different for sexual orientation, and different for disability. Mm -hmm. So I've always felt that if you want engagement programs to really work, Mm -hmm. you've got to go down to the level of one. Mm -hmm. I'm not a great fan of engagement surveys that um, say, uh, here's the result, management, go away and sort it out. Mm -hmm. And in fact, um, some research we conducted quite recently said that – the vast majority of people, I think 62% of people, said that they didn't see any action or difference after they completed an engagement survey. Wow. And so they, they don't believe in them. And I mm-hmm. think that's because they fill in a survey, it yeah. goes to the management, they expect the management to do something about it. Mm-hmm. But what I think should happen is that every individual should get their results and mm-hmm. every individual should be empowered then to improve how engaged and happy they are at work. So mm-hmm. only when you do that can you get a survey that works for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when I was at Waitrose and, and we ran pretty standard sort of once a year surveys, mm-hmm. one of the things that struck me is I'd go to a Waitrose shop when the results eventually came out, which is another great flaw with sort of historic surveys. Mm. And um, I'd say, what did you think of the scores? And they'd say, well, they bear no resemblance to, to what I think or what I want. Right. And of course, for the vast majority of people, that's going to be the case. Mm. And quite often then the management say, what we need to do is bring in a ping pong table or have a pizza night. Mm. And they try to think of one solution that's going to... Yeah 
solve it for everybody. And and, and we're so beyond that now, mm. particularly now with remote working and flexible working. So I think the really big challenge and opportunity for the HR community is how do you take this to the level of one? How do you bring real programs that help an individual improve their engagement mm-hmm. rather than just thinking it's management's responsibility to do it? Right. So it's definitely more about taking a very tailored approach and empowering the employee themselves to, you know, feel happy. And I I suppose also if they do feel like they relate to the survey or to the results of the survey, as you mentioned, then that that leads to a greater sense of connection with their company that they're working at. Absolutely. In in, in virtually virtually every um, area of our lives now, Mm -hmm. what we want is personalisation. Whether you're buying a new bicycle, if you're a mad keen cyclist, Mm. you just don't want to go in and buy a standard bike on the shelf. You want to make sure that, you know, the seats are right for you, the height's right for you, the handlebars are right for you. Mm -hmm. And so if you think about most areas of life, what Mm -hmm. we try to do now is say, how do we build this for the individual? Right. My my view is that engagement surveys, old historic engagement surveys, they don't do that. They're all built around giving you an average. They might give you a a cohort within that, mm-hmm. but ultimately what you want to do is for an individual to be able to understand how engaged they are compared mm-hmm. to others, how they can improve, and then uh, to help them improve through active action planning. Mm-hmm. It's only through doing that and having the whole organisation move forward will you get the step change you want. If you're relying on a small group of people affecting change mm-hmm. that's going to impact on everybody, it's going to be far more difficult and take far longer. Mm-hmm. I think those are really, really interesting points, Mark, and I think our audience will definitely take that forward when they're planning on how to kind of boost employee engagement out there firm um so i just wanted to quickly move on to our next and final piece of research which was um also research which looked at what factors could be driving employee engagement by hogan assessments and 86 percent of almost 500 respondents said that they were engaged or very engaged during the pandemic 83 percent said that their organization acted quickly to identify pandemic related challenges And then a further 80% said that they um, felt satisfied with how their organisation responded to the crisis. So very similarly to Workall's research there, this research also found that effective leadership leads to higher employee engagement. So I guess my kind of broad question based off that is, what do you think will make a good leader going forward into the future of work? If you have any comments on the HR and Review podcast, would like to suggest a topic or speaker, or provide other feedback, you can contact us using the email podcast at hrreview.co.uk. We look forward to hearing from you. So I, I would agree with that research, and our own research says that one of the reasons that uh, overall uh, happiness and engagement sc- scores have gone up over this, this last year from about 63% pre-pandemic to 68 69% now, mm-hmm. it's driven by the fact that people feel that their organisation cares more for their well-being mm-hmm. and their managers have communicated more. Yeah. And the regard for, for management has gone up. That's been one of the drivers mm-hmm. in the improvement of scores. So if anything, what that demonstrates is something we've always, always, always known, that good line management is critical in being able to drive high levels of performance. Mm -hmm. So what does that mean? I think it means um, uh, six things. 
First of all, I think it means recognizing an individual when they do a really good job. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're very bad at that in the UK. On average, uh, we praise people about once every three to four months. We give critical feedback about twice a week. Mm -hmm. Being able to recognize good performance and then reward good performance is the first thing. The second thing is sharing information. Good managers overshare information about how the business is doing and also make sure that people have got the information they need, the training they need to do their jobs really well. Mm -hmm. The third thing is about empowering an individual, which is really about saying to somebody, I trust you to go and make decisions. I've given you the information. I've trained you. Now I trust you. And once an individual feels empowered for something, they're more committed and engaged. Mm -hmm. The fourth one is around well-being. Does this manager care for my well-being? Do they genuinely care for me? Mm-hmm. And there's a great quote. One of my favorite quotes is from Theodore Roosevelt, who said, nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Mm-hmm. And therefore, really good managers who drive high levels of engagement are able to demonstrate to all individuals in their team that they have their best interests at heart. Mm-hmm. The next is about doing something worthwhile. So when you can convince your team that what they're doing really matters, it matters for the business, it matters for for the community, then they are more engaged. Mm -hmm. And then there's two things really right at the end. The first is around career development. Really good managers want to develop their people. They want to see them grow and they want to see them move on. They pride themselves in achieving that. Mm -hmm. consequence of that individuals that have all of those things say that they have good line managers and they are more likely to stay the two biggest factors that drive most people to leave a business are one the relationship they have with their line manager which is all the things i've just talked about Mm -hmm. secondly they feel fairly paid for a younger cohort you can add to that uh career development Mm. So when we do our work, um, both with uh, thousands of hundreds of thousands of now individuals around the world on Workle, or when we do work with Workle for Business, we're able to use the data that we have to say, this percentage of your workforce is a high flight risk. Mm-hmm. This percentage are a medium flight risk. These are, are a loyal group. And if you go to the website and you take the survey, you can see the matrices today. So understanding that, understanding how your actions are driving individuals mm-hmm. to um, uh, either want to stay or go are critical. Mm-hmm. So those, for me, are the key things that managers have to focus on if they want to have a, an engaged and highly productive workforce. Mm. So it's all about kind of empowering the employee, offering them good opportunities to develop, you know, offering positive feedback. It's all about really revolved around empowering and kind of building up that employee then. Absolutely. Why not subscribe to the premium version of HR in Review? You'll get ad-free content, early and extra episodes and more. Even better, although it's the premium edition, it's absolutely free. Sign up at hrreview.co.uk slash podcast. And, you know, the heart of it is, you know, that you care for your people, Mm. um, that you're genuinely interested in them. And you want to help them. You want to help them grow and develop at work. Mm-hmm. If somebody believes that, then they'll stay. They'll be committed to to you and to the task at hand. So those are the really important things if you want to create high levels of engagement. Mm. 
Um, so I just wanted to move on to one final question, Mark, which is, as you know, the 21st of June is just around the corner now. And, you know, all lockdown restrictions hopefully will be easing. What do you think is the future of employee engagement post-COVID? Well, I, I think there are two things, really. One is what's the future of work? And I think that inevitably now it's about being more flexible. It's about remote working. Um mm-hmm how you um, adapt to remote working uh, to your organisation. But because of that, the challenges around engagement become greater. You've got some people that you're seeing in the office. You've got some people that you're not going to see, that you might miss. And so that human personal contact is going to become more sporadic. Mm. And therefore, trying to do things that enable you to take a pulse all the time of how your people feel and how they're going forward, I, I think is going to be critical. Mm. We're in a sales-led organisation. Every day you'll get the sales and you'll know what's happening in terms of the appeal of what you sell to your customers. You're going to have to think about that in terms of your workforce. They're not all going to troop into the office, sit there every day, and either through osmosis or through formal channels, you pick up concerns. Mm. You're going to have to think about how can I listen to this workforce mm-hmm. when they are more remote, more scattered, and how do I think then about their training, their development, their welfare, their well-being, when I can't see them? Mm-hmm. And so I think that the world is going to become more challenging. And as I said um, uh, before, I think we're getting into the age of mass personalization, where individuals mm-hmm. will take need to take more responsibility for their own career development. I think that what um, remote working will give uh, organisations is the opportunity to say, actually, I'll recruit the best people in the world to come do this work. I don't necessarily need somebody who lives close. Mm. All of that will exacerbate this need to keep in touch with how people are, are feeling about their workplace and then how you can keep improving that going forward. So for me, the days of a static once-a-year engagement survey um, feel you know, very distant. I don't mm. think that will meet the needs. I think you'll want always on, you'll want pulses, you'll want to think about small groups and cohorts, you'll think about empowering the individuals to take responsibility for their own engagement. These are all the new things that I think the HR community are going to have to consider. Mm. I think that was really well said, um, Mark. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. It was so interesting to hear, you know, the different ways employers can boost employee engagement and kind of what they need to keep in mind as we move forward. Um, If you enjoyed this podcast, we also do have webinars on Inside HR, which will delve into similar topics. Our next webinar is on Thursday, um, which is the 20th of May, about what flexibility looks like to the post-COVID workforce, and then one the week after on the 27th of May, which is about how to humanise your brand and transform your hiring. As always, if you're interested in learning more about employee engagement in the workplace or any other topic linked to HR, head over to our website, hrreview.co.uk. Also, feel free to check out Workall's platform, which does offer market-leading employee engagement surveys and data to really empower businesses and organisations to engage their workforce and keep them happy. Thank you once again to Lord Mark Price for joining us and our audience for listening. We hope to see you again in two weeks' time where we will be continuing the discussion on the most relevant HR topics. See you then. The HR and Review podcast is brought to you by hrreview.co.uk. 
hrreview.co.uk is a website dedicated to human resources and related professionals. News items are posted daily together with analysis looking in-depth at topical HR issues. You can sign up for our range of specialist newsletters at hrreview.co.uk slash sign up and follow us on Twitter at HR Review or join us on LinkedIn and Facebook. Thank you for listening.